Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Greetings. I'm so glad you decided to join us for another episode of One Life Maps podcast. Today, we have Adele Calhoun with us, and we're going to be talking about spiritual rhythms for the Enneagram, a handbook for harmony and transformation. Now, Adele and Doug Calhoun are co-pastors of spiritual formation at High Rock Covenant Church in Arlington, Massachusetts. They enjoy resourcing ministry leaders and pastors through spiritual direction, retreats, and teaching the Enneagram as certified Enneagram instructors. Adele is the author of Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, which we can uh, definitely put a link to the episode that we interviewed Adele before about that particular book, and Invitations from God and co-author of True You. They wrote this book with Claire and Scott Longridge, and it is a treasure trove of good progress to be made in the question of, okay, so now I know my Enneagram number, so now what? That's one of my ways of describing it. How do you like to describe this, Adele? Well, actually, that's exactly who we dedicated the book to, to people who have gone through many seminars and many seminars, even with us, who have said, now that I know my number, what do I do? And we're really grateful for that question, because especially as the Enneagram has become very fad-like, you know, in evangelical communities, you hear people throwing around, you know, I'm a six, what's your number? And it's like almost a parlor game where it's just, you know, now that you know your number, oh, cool, then I know something about you and you know something about me. And we have very ambivalent feelings about the um faddish nature of it right now, because if it's a fad, the Enneagram will, will um, lose traction. And we find it such an important tool for transformation. We want people to work it. We want them to see that if they will put their shoulder to this, they can be, they can become much more able to represent Christ in this world. Right. And it's such a, it's written in a way that gives such respect to the Enneagram and people who have worked with it that would be a way to help people resist the quick, easy answer of, <laughs> well, you're this type. So this, this, then this must mean that yep. kind of a, kind of a perspective. So this is one of the books that I have seen that is just so rich and deep and so challenging with how much time could be spent in internalizing what this Enneagram number means to my life. It doesn't, it keeps me away in in a lot of ways from typing someone else (laughs) and really helping me to dig in deep and then being able to take other people's perspectives in that, a way that is so respectful. Well, thank you. And that is in a nutshell part of our goal because we want people to really understand their 
themselves and be, become more self-aware so they can be more choiceful in their responses and reactions. But we also want them to be able to get inside other numbers and have empathy for the way these people function. And the story, the book is filled with stories mm-hmm. for that are firsthand stories from people um, talking about their Enneagram number. And we use these stories because they can create a sense of, oh, now I understand why they do that. Oh, that's what happened to them when they were a child. Oh, that's the wounding. That's the stuck place. So we're trying to create both self-awareness as well as empathy for others. Right. And, and in addition to the empathy, there's the, oh, that's how I can value from that perspective. That's right. how I can I can benefit from that perspective. And at the same time, this book is the spiritual disciplines handbook that we talked about before meets the Enneagram in terms of here's a here are spiritual practices that give me a path forward. It gives me some traction to develop my, my ability to see the world and other people through different perspectives in a way that keeps me from being judgmental and opens up possibilities for new creative ways to engage with one another. That's right. That's our hope. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, oh goodness, this is going to be so helpful for so many people, but it's going to be one of those things that I have a feeling that few people are going to dive in as deeply as what uh, they could in this book. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I, this is not going to be one to skim. No, it's not for skimming. And we actually think that this book works really well in the hands of therapists and counselors and coaches and pastors and um, so that people work through it slowly and take their time and if they're doing it with another person or in a small group it can slow things down so that Mm -hmm. people actually do stay with their number for a while it's it's funny we've had people say Oh, I read your book. And I want to say, but did you do the book? <laughs> yes. Well, that that's kind of the same thing. My reaction to when someone says, I read, listen to my life, you know, I've read your book. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't a book to be read. <laughs> this is a right. book to be done, right? That's right. And, and so unfortunately, I have read a portion of your book. I have not had a chance to do it yet. So I'm on the beginning edge of this one. But um, I tell you what, we need to back up Adele and... Um, what's the way you like to describe the Enneagram to start out with? The simplest definition I know is the Enneagram is a tool for transformation. There are many other tools out there that diagnose who you are, like Myers-Briggs says, you know, you're an INFP. Uh, The strength finder can tell you if you're dominant, you know, if you're managerial, it gives you a box to put you in. The Enneagram says, here is a number that represents uh, of your gifting and your virtue, as well as your vice and your false self. But 
The Enneagram shows you how to get out of a box, not how to stay in a box. Mm. That's good. Yeah, the Enneagram is a little bit... Um, you can you can skim the surface of it, but there's so much depth. And then you've taken another layer on top of that in a way that um, does give some traction. So let's talk a little bit about the different ways you are, because when you get into the chapters about each number, there's a specific pattern that you've used to help people take another look, dig deeper, understand themselves and other people a little bit better. So can you talk us through that pattern in a way that helps people understand what they'd be getting themselves into if they decided (laughs) to dive in deeper? Sure. So each chapter begins with just a paragraph description of the number. And then we want... um, We give a series of adjectives and we ask people to reflect on the image of God in them and to look at the words and say, which ones am I most attached to or addicted to or compulsive about? And which words do I resist and judge the most? And if I opened to some words, what might happen? And journal about words. So part of what we're getting people to do right from the get-go is say, Here are some words that really describe who I am and how I interact in the world. And some of the words are good and some of the words are not so good. And then we talk about um, what is it to recognize the difference between being in your sweet spot, in your true self, in your true self in Christ, or to be in your sinful nature, your false self, your triggered ego self. And in in relationships, can you recognize when you switch from one of these ways of being to the other? And so there are exercises in how to become aware of how you move between your ego self and its reactivity and your true self that can be responsive and open. Mm -hmm. And then um, what we think is really the unique contribution of our book is we have borrowed from uh, Ramon Lull, who is a Franciscan from the 1200s, who worked with the Enneagram and has uh, some diagrams of the Enneagram. And we have reimagined the arrows. And we believe that we've reimagined them in a much more elegant way and in a way that Ramon Lowe could have imagined them. And so rather than just giving people one number, saying you're a, a one, We give everybody an equilateral triangle. So the one people are familiar with is the 369 Enneagram. Um, All the arrows connect between 3, 6, and 9. And so if you're a 3, 6, or a 9, you're connected to your head intelligence, your heart intelligence, and your gut intelligence. You have connections to all three triads but you're the only three numbers that do. 
And so what we do is we just give everybody connection to head, heart, and gut because God created us all with head intelligence, heart intelligence, and gut intelligence. And there's a lot of brain science we talk about and how that gets worked out. But even going from the biblical model for the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your EQ, with all your mind, your IQ, and with all your strength, your GQ. And so we give everybody three numbers. So 147, 369, and 852. And we believe that by doing that, we give people a way of moving to health when they pick up their heart, you know, whichever, whichever two are not there. I'm a four, so I'm in the heart. I need seven for my head, and I need one for my gut. That that was really helpful. I'm a, I, I identify as a seven, but I, I kind of see myself as a little bit of a complicated seven, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I say, well, I might be a 7.5. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so looking at this, it seemed so helpful and gracious, not only to be able to say, okay, a seven um, might have some issues with gluttony and then the attached to anger of the one and the envy of the seven and I, I recognize that. And also to look at it on the balanced intelligence uh, mm-hmm. diagram that you have, that joy is deeply stable. And then from the one, goodness creates joy. Mm-hmm. And four, creativity joyfully renews. And when I put those three together, that so describes um, who I am at my best. And also then the other numbers of the virtues and vices, um, it also unfortunately describes <laughs> who I am. Yeah, so maybe I am a more true seven than uh, than a seven point five in that kind of way. As I would, which uh, which is kind of a, a interesting way that I, uh, you know, it, it would be just like a seven to say, well, I really don't fit that. <laughs> well, yes. There are certain numbers who like to say they don't fit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think I'm probably one of those. So, yeah. and, and so within that, then going back to the kind of pattern here, you have these descriptive word lists that you, that you already talked about. And as I looked at um, mine as a seven, you know, I am and I am not. And then, the, you know, asking that we star the words that express your gifts and underline the word that describe the parts of your personality that are unstable um, by God in their present form and put a check mark beside the characteristics that trigger us and circle the characteristics, characteristics that resonate with your journey. Even just that, if we just left it at that as an exercise, it would be incredibly useful. But then you just keep you keep digging in and you keep moving on. <laughs> That's true. And so getting to know sevens, you know, you bring in the, in the, uh, the stories and then you get into this, the thing that, that connects this so closely to listen to my life um, in many ways is you get into the backstories of each number. Right. And I want to go back to that a little bit, the wounding um, you know, this, this place where our soul and our spirit have been hurt in some way. And these stories that, that become, 
key to how we see ourselves, how we see how the world works, and how we see who God is, um, is sometimes how we talk about it. So talk a little bit about the perspective of the backstory and the wounding. So we have a section in each chapter on healing childhood hurts. And we do that because if you're thinking again, the Enneagram is head intelligence, heart intelligence, gut intelligence. Most of us grow up in family systems that favor a particular way of going at life. So I grew up in a family that I would say was mostly head intelligence, what is right, what is true, what is wrong, what is bad, you know, know the difference, obey, um, think things through, get straight A's, work hard, you know, go to college. And and if I remember correctly, um, from the last interview we did, you talked about being a part of a wana and doing sword drills and memorizing right. scriptures in the that's in right. the and and that faith might be more closely aligned to studying and memorizing and and knowing. That's right. So information, growing up with a lot of um, catechism, you know, knowing my faith and being in my head. And in our family, um, well, well, in I learned in church, you know, that facts matter. Faith matters and feelings don't matter. So, you know, our faith is based on facts and the caboose of a train is feelings. And in our family, feelings were just sort of like, no, we, you know, it's it doesn't, it's not how you feel that matters. It's are you doing the right thing? Right. How what 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 do we trust here? And right. and we don't and, trust and I, that. I I grew up in a um, Missouri Synod Lutheran background, and it was definitely about thinking correctly. Mm-hmm. And and you can see different kinds of denominations that would fit in these different categories if we have a, a Christian faith background, which is really interesting. So you as a four, growing up in a in an environment where the head knowledge was more valued and trusted what what was that like for you so i dismissed my feelings you know i didn't count them i had them i had a lot of them but i just um swallowed them and our family didn't trust a lot of the hot emotions of the gut and so it took me years to be able to say, you know, I really, I, I am constantly distressed when connections break. And that is a sign of the heart triad. You know, I want to be connected. I want to, um, I want to be connected. And sometimes information can help you with that, but mm, it, it doesn't solve it. And so part of what we try to do is say, you know, how did your childhood shape you in a way that you probably dismissed some of your childlike self? And so we provide people with stories and exercises about their families to say, this is, this is the way my family related. And this is what I learned 
to do as a defense to stay safe or to stay loved or to stay connected or to stay powerful or valued or valued mm-hmm. and and that worked as a child often those defenses were the best thing we could do but as adults if we continue to use those defenses we stay stuck in childhood patterns mm. so you also talk about in the stories here you talk about trauma and sublimated pain mm-hmm. talk about what the word sublimated means and what that's like when we're looking at numbers here and rec- and why it's important to recognize that well um I'm going to quote Richard Rohr, who says, every um, pain that is not transformed is being transmitted. And so it's really important to understand the pain that we are still living out of. Because somebody may say something that annoys you, but you're having a really bad day. And so you overreact to what they say, and you pull up all the pain of your past because that triggered something that you felt as a child. And so part of it is trying to say, can you recognize when you get triggered, what's starting to come up? And so we offer a way of, of doing work around that. And the, the trauma piece is um, often something that is felt in the body, the body the body keeps score, the body remembers things. And so we have exercises that tap into your um, ab reactions and your body's responses. So you can um, listen with more than your, well, this, this is what my mom told me, that you listen to your body and you listen to your heart as well mm-hmm. as your thoughts. Right, that all of all of these parts are welcome and have something to offer us. Right. But to be able to recognize when we're transferring pain from the past into a present circulation situation, so we're reacting to a dime offense with a dollar reaction. That's you know, right. Just, just kind of an over over the top kind of a piece, and and it's. It's, it's where we get so defended that we end up being um, closed off to the present moment when we get over-triggered, when we get, <laughs> or when we overreact to a present-day situation. Yeah, so but basically what's so valuable about that is that we can recognize it. And if we're in the practice of reviewing our days, we have a way of being able to um, to be able to notice what what situations are triggering me and what might be behind it. So, once if we if we understand that, then what do we do with it, Adele? Well, there are spiritual practices that are ways that we can partner with the Holy Spirit. Um, we know now there are a lot about brain chemistry and how you can create new neural pathways all the way um, until you're old. And we used to not believe that, but you can. 
And so what we say is these is that one way, um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One way you do that is through spiritual practices. And these practices help you lean in to transformation and to healing and to health. What other patterns are there in the chapters that help us to dig into each one of our numbers? Well, um, there is journaling your dismissed childlike self, and we've already talked a little about that. It's unpacking some of your personal history. And then we talk about um, how we make decisions, and we use uh, Ignatius of Loyola because when he was uh, helping his missionary brothers listen to the call of God in their life. He said, you need to listen to what your uh, head thinks, to what your heart feels, and to what your gut, what you feel in your gut is God pulling you. And so we say, um, he says, listen to where there is consolation, where you sense the fruit of the spirit, where you sense love, joy, and peace, and generosity, and kindness. And and where do you feel like life is just draining away from me? And by listening to consolations and desolations, we become present to what is going on inside of us. And we're better able to say where the spirit is, is where life is. And so we try to give some guidance and how to make decisions and how to listen to yourself around consolations and desolations. Um, we also talk, there is a, a particular defense mechanism for every number, as well as a particular virtue and consolation for every number. Can you give an example um, from a particular number about that? Sure. Well, I'll do me. For th- for fours, the desolation is that I'm all the awful things that I, I'm anxious people think I am. So I believe that I have some fatal flaw and it becomes a desolation that goes with me into everything. And so to begin to recognize that what I do is rather than project outward, um, my flaws on other people, which there are numbers that do that. But instead of my doing that, I take all the flaws that are out there and I put them inside me. And that's really a desolation, you know, to do that. Sounds like a lot to carry. It's a lot to carry to live with a fatal flaw. That means you aren't lovable or worthy of belonging. That's desolation. And so how do you turn that around? Yeah. So the the consolation is to recognize that um, my my the way I've been made by God is unique, and there is no other number like four. But then there's no other four like Adele, and that I have already 
been made uniquely beloved by God. And when I can lean into the truth about my own belovedness and enoughness, then I have the, my virtue, which is equanimity, which is the ability to hold the dark and the light together, the ability to go with people into dark places of suffering and not be overwhelmed by it. So what you're saying, the word sublimation that I brought up earlier means how do we compensate for, how do we cover up for, how do we, right. uh, how do we cope what are our coping strategies, right? Well, and sublimation is the particular um, part of the vice of the seventh. They sublimate pain. They push things down. We all do it, but you do it in spades. Yeah, I've, I've got plenty of strategies if anybody's interested in knowing how to <laughs> compensate for pain. <laughs> and... uh Yes. So there's every, everybody has one. Everybody has some ways of doing that, but sevens, because we are pain avoiders, um, just seem to do more of it. Absolutely. So what about then? Cause then after all that in each place, the spiritual ry- rhythms for each number. So if you're going to continue with, um, fours. With the, yeah, with fours, go ahead. Well, so part of the, um, so there's a number of spiritual rhythms for each number. And I would say for a four, one of the great practices is the practice of the presence of the ordinary. Because they can feel like, I need to be so unique. If I'm really unique, then people will like me and they won't leave me and abandon me. And so there is this persona that develops in the false self about trying to be um, somehow more beautiful and interesting. And it can push people into eccentricities and oddities and flamboyancy and all kinds of things. Um. But practicing the the presence of the ordinary and seeing that just in ordinary interactions and ordinary days and sitting here in my office and looking out my window on this, you know, autumn day is, is enough. It's beautiful. And life can be beautiful in, in its just, in its, if you want to say mundanity, it's ordinariness, it's repetitiveness, all the things that my foreness wants to resist. When I receive those, I have equanimity and I find um, great delight in what is rather than going, oh, well, that view could be better or, you know, could be more extraordinary. No, it's it's just amazing just the way it is. <laughs> Right. And I mean, as I look through the um, practices for the seven, you offer probably eight or 10 different options. Oh, yes. And it's, it's not just options, but actually kind of layering them on top of one another in a way that, um, that gives as that's what makes the rhythm, right? 
right to to include these as regular practices because not all of them are going to happen every day, but yet um, to ha- all of all of them have a place in a in a regular cycle of becoming self aware and God aware. They do, and when we can sort of lean into some of these rhythms, what we do is we start to grow in awareness. And as we grow in awareness, we have more choices. We can't change anything we're not aware of. So the the beauty of the spiritual practices is they make us aware of God, make us aware of grace, and they make us aware of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then if we're, we're, we're really doing well, we can have more empathy for other people that are different than us and the other numbers as well. We can step into their shoes a little bit. So every chapter ends with empathy for whatever the set, whatever the numbers are. And so say a little bit about that section. So we've really set up the empathy section for small groups because we want people rather than um, just saying, Oh, I know all about fours or, you know, I'm married to a one and uh, to really sit with some of the stories that have made these numbers who they are. And if we're honest, many of us have sort of a, um, a resistance to some ones of the numbers, like the eight, we may feel like, oh, they come on way too strong. I don't like eights. Or they may think, oh, you know, uh, twos are way too um, easily hurt and take everything personally. I don't like to, you know. So, no, that's not what we want. We want people to sort of get at what is the beauty of each number and what is the, the fault line in their soul that makes it difficult for them to be transformed? And can you understand what they're working against and be a source of encouragement and help to them rather than just judge it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I understand that you work with, uh, with teams and organizations around yes. this particular, uh, these particular topics. What does that look like? when you go into an organization and open this, the content of this book up to a team? So we always begin with um, an overview of the Enneagram so that all of the people in the room are on the same page. And anymore, there could be somebody who knows a lot, but there's still people who know nothing. And so what we try to do is... um, when we work with non-for-profits and do consulting, we go. We try to set up three different times we go to work with the team between two and three months apart each time. So the first time is, this is your number. Work with it for the next two or three months. Work with your true self, false self. Work with some of spiritual, some spiritual practices. How can you see yourself being changed? How can you partner with the spirit? How can you name those parts of your personality that are unusable by God in their present form and lean in? So everybody does that individually. So we start with 
individuals. Then the second time, we talk about what it is to live into um, your harmony number, so that as a four, my creativity, if it is not joyfully renewing, it is all about me and my artistic need to create. And you, you can just think about all the artists who become very narcissistic. It's about them and their music and their art and their, oh, you know. But if I will go to my harmony, my creativity has a joyful peace to it that actually does something in the world. It's not just about me. So we work with what it is for each number to go with their harmony and how um, there are people in your harmony, like sevens and ones, who can help me be healthy and I can help them be healthy. And we do some work around triads and we say, okay, so let's have um, heart triad people all sit together and head triad people all together and gut and we create um, case studies sometimes from their own um, uh, organizations and say, how, how are the heart people going to respond to these things? How are the head people? How are the gut people? Okay, now what would it mean if we integrated head, heart, and gut and got the information from all three of these intelligences before we made decisions? Mm -hmm. So we, we work with that. We do some decision-making work using um, a map that's in the appendix about how to use the Enneagram Harmony Enneagram to make decisions. And then the third time we visit, we work with um, conflict between numbers, uh, supervision of numbers, um, working styles of numbers, so that there's this sense of how, as an organization, they can um, have better understanding and empathy to understand one another as well as leverage the gifts that each team member brings. That is such a beautiful thing. I can imagine that um, those are sometimes difficult conversations to get into because when an organizational leader is of a particular type, um, there's a lot of times people feel a need to mirror what the leader is like in some ways. That's and the, true. The, that's just not what they particularly are, the individuals particularly are. But yet when we welcome everyone to the table um, and we can understand each other's perspectives and we can walk around the table and put ourselves in the shoes of others, um, we can come up with better solutions, or at least we can we can ask better questions. Like, wait a minute, you're not with the group on where this conversation is going and where this decision is headed. Help me understand the resistance. What are you seeing that we're not seeing? You know, just to be able to to dig in a little bit deeper and and bring everybody's perspective in. Well, that's that's right, Sharon, and. And the truth is, if, if there is familiarity by everyone in the room with the Enneagram, you can say, we haven't heard 
from the fives and the nines in the room. They're too quiet. We need your voice. Speak up. Mm -hmm. Or they can say to the eight, we know what you want. We've heard it loud and clear. You need to listen to what some of these other voices are saying. So there's this sense of being able to say, to really discern and make our, a good decision, we need all nine voices because all nine voices together reflect the wisdom of God, not just one. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful thing. And I, I've since I'm an organization development consultant by, by trade, I just so resonate with that. And so many teams that I've worked with, some people are very much more represented than others. Well, often it is the um, senior leadership that hires people that are like them Mm -hmm. because they understand people that are like them. And then they set goals for people who are like them. And they never have anybody on the team who crosses them because it's just too hard. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, to, to actually have the courage to build a team with these multiple voices because you know they're not always going to disagree. <laughs> they're not always going to agree, and right? That's right. It takes a very mature leader to make a decision to welcome that kind of um, the conflict that comes from everybody being represented. That's true. It takes somebody who really believes that they will have a better outcome if they do listen to the voices at the table. Right. And I think this, when when you transfer that to families, um, this is just so important when there's a, a... when there are multiple children in the family, I mean, I've, we've got some good friends that have um, some that have four or even some friends that have more than four children. Um, and there's always at least one outlier in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, somehow or another, they always seem to be one of the middle children, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just an interesting dynamic that that happens in the process of of everybody having having a say so everybody's perspective be, being valued and so i so appreciate that so adele i think that this particular book the spiritual rhythms for the enneagram a handbook for harmony and transformation I want to say that again because of the fact that I want everybody to be able to get to it. We'll put the link uh, to this book in the show notes here, but it's by Adele and Doug Calhoun and Claire and Scott Longridge. And um, this is a wonderful and unique book, and it's going to find a place on my bookshelf next to the Spiritual Discipline Handbook because of the fact that it's one that will continually get referenced. This is not a book that you read from cover to cover and say, oh, Ben, they're done that. (laughs) This is a book to continually come back to, um, to help us mature, to be the people that were created to be and to be more compassionate and empathetic with people and also more productive with our gifts and valuing who we are and how we're made and showing up at the table to contribute what we were made to contribute. Hmm. So Adele, thank you so much. Any closing words of wisdom for us or encouragement for our audience? 
Well, for those people that have already found that the Enneagram can be a helpful tool, I just want to say, continue the journey, because this is a a way to fall more in love with other people. It is a way to uh, be kind to yourself and gentle and uh, understanding of yourself. And it is also a way to begin to see God in the face of other people. And I'm reminded of Jacob when he returned home and saw his brother coming to meet him and he didn't know if uh, his brother was going to receive him or kill him and he sees his brother who he hasn't seen for ages and he says to see your face is like seeing the face of God and we believe that all nine numbers reveal the face of God And so our hope is that as you study this, you will begin to see the face of God in others. Mm, That's a beautiful encouragement and promise. Adele, thank you so much once again for joining us. Um, I am just so blessed by our conversations and encouraged um, by where I can journey in this as well. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. And so all of our listeners, I just hope that you will pick up the spiritual rhythms for the Enneagram. Look for the link um, to be able to purchase the book um, in the show notes here. And if you're just starting out with the Enneagram, Adele, which book would you recommend they pick up first? So my favorite really basic book is um, the Enneagram Made Easy. And it's got lots of cartoons, and it's simple, and it gives a very good basic understanding where people can say, okay, now I've got it. And then if they want to read more, they can go from there. Excellent. Thank you so much. I sure appreciate it. Signing off for now. Many blessings, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? You're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com.